Yeah, yeah. Find your time. I heard somebody sneak up on me. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, so good to be here at Calvary for even myself. Uh, we're not unfamiliar uh, with Calvary. Uh, we actually attended Bethany Free Church, so when Tom prayed for Bethany, uh, thank you for that, Tom. That's, that was the church that we grew up in. But uh, Eve and I were both baptized here in the basement at Calvary because Bethany does not have a baptistry, and at that point in time, uh, many years ago, uh, shared downstairs. And then 51 years ago, this coming Sunday, June 20th, Eve and I celebrate our 51st wedding anniversary, but we were married at Bethany, but we had our reception down in the basement here at uh, Calvary. So uh, Calvary holds uh, good places in our lives, and the Lord has been good. As uh, Tom said, we're working with the Eastern District, uh, which has just changed its name. Uh, to EFCA, Evangelical Free Church of America, EFCA East, and that's to indicate our connection with the uh, Evangelical Free Church nationwide, as well as the eastern part of the uh, district in which uh, we serve. So we are excited to be here today, and thank you and Daniel for the invitation to come and share with you. Uh, we want to share from the Word of God, and if you have your Bibles or your devices uh, with you uh, this morning, we will be reading the text of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. And I noticed in the bulletin that uh, the sermon outline was included. Uh, now that's not so that you can check and see where I'm at and how much longer we have to go, but that hopefully, uh, that hopefully will keep you tracking uh, with us as we go through the Scripture text. But on the back side of the bulletin, you'll see there's some fill-in-the-blanks. And I know there's people who get uh, a bit fixated on making sure that they fill in all the blanks. So uh, if you miss one along the way, feel free to uh, come up to me afterwards. I don't want you to leave disappointed that you couldn't fill in all the blanks uh, that are there. But let me open in prayer, and then let's uh, look at the text of Scripture and share over this uh, text on facing uncertain times. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you are the sovereign God. We are so grateful that you are the creator God. We are so grateful that you are the God who lives. You're the living God. And you walk with us through the difficult times and uncertain times. You work in our lives to bring about your purposes during those times. And most often, Lord, you take us through those times and we learn lessons that impress and that mature us for the onward purposes that you have for us. We've been through and are still in a bit of uncertain times. Help us, Lord, to understand from your word this morning. Speak to my heart. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. In recent days, obviously over the last year and a half, year and a quarter or so, we have all heard people around us uh, saying, and perhaps we found ourselves repeating phrases like, I've never seen anything like this before. I've never been through anything like this before. Without question, these are uncertain times in which we're living. Uh, many of us feel that our nation, our world is standing on the brink, but the brink of what we really don't know, 
what it is. Researchers tell us that all this stress that's created by a sense of uncertainty is not only unsettling, but it can be unhealthy. It is slowly and quite literally, they say, uh, killing us and changing us not for the good. I found it interesting in my research that some years ago, some Dutch researchers conducted an experiment. It's an experiment in which they told one group of people that they would receive 20 strong shocks. That's one group. They took a second group of people and told them that they would receive only three strong shocks along with 17 mild ones. Three strong ones, 17 mild ones. But the shocks would be administered randomly. Those researchers discovered that the group, the second group, 17 mild shocks, only three severe shocks, uh, that that second group sweated more and experienced faster heart rates than the first. And it was concluded that it was because of the uncertainty that their discomfort came, not the intensity of the shocks. Uh, another study done recently had colostomy patients who knew their colostomies would be permanent and they were happier six months after their operations than those who were told that there might be a chance of reversing their colostomies. Once again, uncertainty caused the greater pain. Commenting on these studies, Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert concluded, and here's a, a great quote, an uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. An uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. And that's where we've been these last year and, and a quarter. An uncertain future, uh, not sure of what the present uh, feels like in all of our lives, but, but all we can do is wait and anticipate what might be. And that's true today as it was over a decade ago when these studies were done, and it's as true in the life of Elijah when he's told to confront Ahab as it is for us today. The narrative of 1 Kings is set in the time of the kings of Israel. The worship of God is in disarray following a string of godless monarchs. There's not a bright time or it's not a bright hope for Israel at this point. God's altars were thrown down. God's prophets were silenced and hiding, and God's worshipers were few when we come to the text of Scripture that we read this morning. 1 Kings chapter 17, are you there with me? Uh, verses 1 through 8a, familiar story to many. Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then 
the word of the Lord came to him. I want you to see yourself in this text. I want to see myself in this text, sitting, walking right alongside Elijah as we are with him by the brook. Now, as we've read the text this morning, there are three individuals that are involved in this story, this portion of God's story here. And I I want you to understand who they are so that we can understand the passage fully. Ahab, he's presented to us in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29, where it says of him, In the 38th year of Asa, the king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, became the king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel for 22 years. Ahab, king of Israel. And yet we learn quickly that he is a wimp. He's spineless. And Scripture gives us a very clear picture of who he was, his character. Look at verse 30 of chapter 16. For there it says of him, Ahab the son of Omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. And notice verse 33, where it says there of him, Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than than did all the kings of Israel before him. This is Ahab, Israel's king at this moment in time. The second person that's introduced to us in this account is Jezebel. She arrives on the scene in verse 31 where it says, Ahab also made an Asherah pole, did more to provoke provoke the Lord, but then it says a little earlier on, uh, he uh, not only considered it trivial uh, to commit the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. Jezebel, she's a shrewd woman, a manipulator behind the throne of Israel. She's a Sidonian, a non-Jew, whose dad was a priest of the pagan god of fertility. And Jezebel, married now to Ahab, is determined to wipe out the worship of Jehovah. Ahab yields to her desires and uh, even builds a private temple where she could worship Baal. The king of Israel, unbelievable married now uh, to an idol-worshipping pagan, and now, as the text reads, many in Israel are following after the god Baal. Now this brings two questions to my mind, even before we get into the story that we've, we've read in the text. What in the world was Ahab thinking? Why would he, the king of Israel, enter into a politically motivated alliance with an idol-worshipping pagan? Well, he rationalized. He he used muddled thinking. Uh, This marriage is a good alliance for Israel. It will will unite uh, two uh, nations together, and somehow that will work out. He was willing to compromise. The text says he even built shrines to Jezebel's God. That's my first question. What in the world is Ahab thinking? But here's my second question. Is there a little Baal in my heart? Is there a little bail in your heart? We know recently of Christian leaders who have had some bails in their hearts, and it's destroyed their ministries and lives. Is there a little bail in my heart, in your heart? The people of Israel had been told to destroy all the idols, but they had not. They disobeyed God. 
So is there an area in your life that you've walled off from God, that you've keep hidden from others, a, a place that you've kept strictly for yourself, a place that you are thinking, I'm not even going to let God into it? We begin by flirting a little bit uh, with the idol, but if we don't deal with it, if we don't chop it at the root, it will grow as with Ahab. It grew in his life. And eventually here, all of Israel was involved in immorality. And so this morning, practically, you and I, if there's a bale that's in our lives, a, a little bale at this point, we need to deal with that. It may be lust. It may be a lying spirit that shades the truth and fudges the truth. It may be a habit that you want to overcome or an addiction that you want to overcome. It may be a relationship that's bringing you down and therefore has no place in your life. We need to deal with the bales in our lives today. The principle is this, trusting the wrong thing in life will always bring about bad consequences. And so it had for Ahab. And so it now had for Israel. But this brings us to the third personality, the key character in the text of Scripture this morning, Elijah. In these dark times, God raises up a light, a prophet by the name of Elijah. He's a rugged individual. He's zealous for God. His name means Jehovah is my God. And he bursts on the scene uh, in chapter, chapter 17, verse 1. He appears with the suddenness of a lightning bolt. His name is given. He shares a prophetic word that comes with frightening precision of booming thunder. He suddenly appears. I notice in that very first verse that we hear no background, nothing about his growing up years. We hear uh, nothing about any fanfare, any of his accomplishments previous to this text. We don't hear anything about his qualifications. They're not noted here. And we know nothing about his parents. They're not mentioned here. And even in his early years and, and the towns that are mentioned, we know very, very little. But in James 5.17, we read these words. Elijah was a man just like us. He became depressed and discouraged, I'm sure. He was scared and frightened. He doubted. He seemed at times defeated. He was like-natured, like-feeling as we are. And therefore, I want to encourage you this morning to ask some questions. What would it have been like for me to sit with Elijah beside the brook that's drying up? What would I have felt? What would I have thought? What would I have struggled with? What things would I have needed to remember? History calls Elijah the chief of the prophets. Ahab in chapter 18, verse 17, calls him the troubler of Israel. And so he sits by a brook in the text that we read. And here's the truth this morning. Dry brooks... Crisis moments don't phase God. He has plans for your life and my life, therefore we need to trust and rest in Him. So review with me the story that the Scriptures give this morning. First, we see Elijah giving the prophetic word, verse 1 of your text. It's simple. 
It's crisp. It's clear. It's one of the most famous one-liners in all of biblical history that I could see. Uh, Your cisterns are going to be empty. There'll be no rain to irrigate the fields. The crops are going to wither. There'll be no dew. This is going to be a catastrophe on the nation of Israel. Now, why was Elijah willing to take that risk? Well, verse 1 tells me. For in verse 1, Elijah's comments are, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve. I serve a living God. I serve a powerful God. Ahab, you are not the most powerful person in the land. That position was reserved for the living God of heaven, Jehovah, the sovereign ruler over all. God was more real to him than Ahab and Jezebel, except when his faith wavered a little bit. The word of the Lord is uh, the word of God is offered. And then what does God do? God sends Elijah into seclusion. Verse 2, leave and hide. To be honest, I'm I'm a bit surprised at, at the nature of God's plans here for Elijah. I would have thought that it would be a most logical arrangement, seemingly to me, to keep Elijah right in the king's face at this time, to use the prophet of God as a persistent goad, facing Ahab to surrender to God, the God who had created him. No one else was going to do that. It makes sense to me that God would leave Elijah there. But the word of the Lord comes. Go and hide. And Elijah goes to a place of isolation. Now, in Elijah's life, I see here that he's obedient. He does what God tells him. Uh, The text says he leaves and he hides. The Hebrew word here suggests the idea of concealment. Chuck Swindoll, in one of his books years back, called it being absent on purpose. Elijah was going to be absent on purpose. And this wasn't just a little camping trip, a a three-day over a weekend type thing. It says in our text, verse 6, that he stayed there. He lived there. He settled by the brook. This was a long stay. Uh, This was no accident. And this was part of God's providential dealings with Elijah. Uh, What truths was God teaching Elijah? What areas of growth was God nurturing here? By the brook Kirith. First, it was a place of preparation, I believe. Uh, It's there by the brook that Elijah and God had time together. Elijah could see the rocks around and be reminded of God being being the rock uh, of our salvation and his salvation. He could see the trees around and be reminded of Psalm 1, the trees planted by the rivers of water bringing forth fruit in their season. He could see the water and be reminded of the water brooks that that were the place of God's provision and God's preparation. Uh, Things that would prepare him for an encounter that might destroy a less prepared servant. He had time to think and rethink and renew and reflect. I've got to tell you, during this coronavirus and and the pandemic time, isolation was a part of all of our lives, was it not? But hopefully it could have been a place of preparation, you and God working through, struggling through, but learning more. I know it was for me. Uh, Secondly, it was a place of protection. 
Ahab could not find him, find him the, uh, anywhere, and he was away from the rage of the people that would come because the rain had stopped. It was a place of protection. It was also a place of provision. I noticed in the text it says that that provision came from natural means, the, the water of the brook, and the supernatural means, the ravens that brought the food to Elijah by day and by night, uh, morning and evening. I believe he was there probably a year, most commentators think. What lessons he could learn. God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you and care for you. And even during this pandemic time and the season we're in, God is still at work and he's still providing. He sits by the brook Kirith. The word Kirith in the Hebrew means to cut off or to cut down. Elijah is cut off from all his activities. So were many of us. But it was that God might prove to him who he was and that he could trust God to meet his every need. Elijah was to be the spokesman for God, but he was not yet truly a man of God. I noticed in 1 Kings 17, 1, Elijah is referred to as Elijah the Tishbite. But when you come to 1 Kings 17, 24, after he meets with the widow of Zarephath, the widow of Zarephath declares, Elijah, you are the man of God. This was a place of transformation. And I hope that even in the most difficult seasons and disturbing seasons of life, they can be times of transformation for you as well. Secondly, the brook dries up. Sometime later, verse 7 says, the brook dried up. The Hebrew expression here is pregnant with, with uh, a meaning. For, for the Hebrew expression here, properly translated would be at the end of days. At the end of days. That signifies God's timing here. It's very evident. Elijah had been faithful, delivering God's word, obedient and following God's direction, and the brook dries now, the brook was not drying up by supernatural means, that somehow God stopped it upriver or, or stopped it right away like the Red Sea. Uh, no, it was slowly and agonizingly drying up. It shrinks and it shrinks day after day. It goes from six feet across to six inches across over time. And to Elijah, there's nothing to suggest the special hand of God in all of this or the special presence of God. I'm sure that as that brook was drying up, Elijah was praying, Lord, the brook's drying up. Where are you? What's going on? Where is God? Is God really good? Now, we all know that Elijah was experiencing the same condition that was being brought about by the judgment over all of Palestine, and yet it's affecting Joshua or Elijah too. Yet two things are certain here. God is still alive and well, and God knows what he's doing, and God is doing something in the heart and the life of Elijah. Now, for those of us who have experienced life for a season or two or three or four. Most brooks, at some point, dry up. 
It may be a relationship brook that you focused on and were thinking it was going to be good, but it's dried up. It may be a business brook that's dried up. Perhaps poor health. A pandemic that overtakes the world uh, suddenly, it seemed. Any persistent trial that tests my faith can be the brook drying up. Brooks dry up. It could be a special friend that's no longer desirous of continuing that friendship. It could be a bank account that you've trusted in. It could be a job that's provided security. Brooks dry up. And yet, look at verse 8. The brook dries up, and then it says, in the text, then the word of the Lord comes to him. Do you remember in the text where that phrase was stated before? It's back up in verse 2. It was when he confronted Ahab. It says, then the word of the Lord came to him and said, go and hide. And now it's after the brook dries up that the Lord comes to him and speaks. It's then that God spoke and gave direction. And that's exactly what God wanted to do. And notice that Elijah did not pout, it seems, or at least we're not told. He didn't cry when the brook dried up. He, he I believe, trusted God. There's something that's coming. There's something perhaps better that's coming. There's going to be a time to move on. The problem with Kirith's, the brooks in my life at least, I can get pretty comfortable with my bank account, with my retirement income, with my relationships, with things moving along in a pretty steady and, and uh, measurable and, and anticipated way. But if we stay by the brook too long, we can love the brook more than we love the God who gave the brook to us. What brook in your life are you depending on this morning? The dried up brook forced Elijah to depend on God solely. Whether in the palace or in private, Elijah was ready to serve his God. So what are some lessons that we can learn from the dried up brook this morning? Some of us have experienced that during this year and a quarter or so, and maybe still are, just wondering, okay, things have been out of the norm. This has been a crisis moment. This has been a, a time that's so different. What lessons do I need to learn? Our first lesson is this, and here we are with the uh, fill in the blanks, so I'll try to be clear so that you can catch them if you so desire. Dried up brooks teach us that God's direction will always include God's provision. It will always include God's provision. We need to learn to trust Him. One day at a time. God gave to Elijah provision in the morning and the evening through the ravens. That had to be a stretch for Elijah as well. Uh, provision came day by day. And God has promised that to us. That even when the brooks dry up, He will provide for us day by day moment by moment trust him secondly dried up brooks will happen 
in Christians' lives. They will happen. It was God who put Elijah by that brook. Elijah was right where God wanted him. Faithful and obedient believers will meet affliction. They will meet difficult times. So often I want to say, well, that must not be God's will. God doesn't care. What is God doing? But the God who gave the water can withhold the water too. That was the lesson of Job, was it not? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I will trust him. And yet that's a tough spot to be in. I've got to tell you, over the last year and a quarter working with pastors in our district, we have grieved together, we've wept together, we've prayed together over the agony of, of how to work out ministry during a time such as this. But it happens. I remember times when things were normal, don't you? And we're all saying, what's the new normal going to look like? Even though things are getting better, praise God. Number three, dried up brooks teach us to walk by faith, not by sight. Will the word of God reign in our lives or, or will our emotions reign? We need to learn to trust God one day at a time. We need to wait for God to, to guide us. He went and he did, verse 5 says of Elijah. He went and he did. He did what God asked him to do. There's always a purpose for every brook that dries up. For dried up brooks teach us that our growth is more important than our present comfort. This past year and a quarter has taught me that this is my temporary home here that I've got a home far beyond here, and it's teaching me about the temporarily being here and my need to absolutely depend upon my God. Change has a way of doing that in our lives, doesn't it? And five, dried up brooks teach us that kiriths don't last forever. Stay at the brook too long and you may love the brook more than the God who gave it to you. Brooks dry up. But God moves us on. God says, don't worry, I'm planning to do a greater and better thing, a new thing. Be ready for it, anticipate it. After the brook dries up, that's when God spoke to Elijah, not before. Elijah had been sitting for a long time, yet God was there, and God will speak even when the brook dries up. The same God who gave the rain to Israel also sent the drought. The same God who called Elijah to confront Ahab also sent him to hide by the brook. The same God who sent the ravens now sends Elijah to live with a widow in Zarephath. And that's another piece of the story that you need to read if you don't remember it. What seems so haphazard and unplanned is actually the unfolding of God's divine plan in the life of Elijah. So what do you and I do? when brooks dry up. Whenever you lose that which was meaningful or important or, or normal, your brook dries up. Whenever that which you're relying on, counting on, depending on, fails to satisfy you, your brook dries up. When whatever you've invested in fails to give you a return and your retirement accounts no longer provide what was promised, your brook dries up. 
when you come to Sunday morning and, and you hear the Word and you sing the songs, but there's no melody in your heart. Your brook is drying up. What do you do? What do you do for that hiding place is not a holding place? I'd suggest the following. First, acknowledge who provided the brook in the first place. God gives and God takes away. God knows what he's doing. Trust God. Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And this last year and a quarter, even I have had to say, God, we're remembering your benefits. We're remembering that you are God. Acknowledge who our God is. He is the God that Elijah says, who lives and who has sent me. Secondly, don't panic. Sometimes brooks dry up just to let us know that God's in charge. God knows what he's doing. He will take care of us. Don't pull away from God. Day by day, morning by morning, he was there showing himself to Elijah, and so he will to you. See the testimony of God's grace, thirdly. If you never had any dried up brooks, you can't tell what God has done for you. I love the Andre Crouch song. Now this dates me, it's way back in the 80s or 70s, but it, in part it said it was a song through it all, and in part it said if I'd never had a problem, I'd never know that God could solve them. They come to make me strong. See the testimony of God's grace. And fourthly, learn in solitude what God is teaching you. Take those times of solitude to just be there reflecting and renewing on your God. Might dried up brooks lead us to the one who is the living water, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It was Christmas time, 2018. Eve and I were preparing on a Saturday to have most of our family out for a pre-Christmas dinner and celebration. The ham had been bought, provision had been made, and a phone call came early on Saturday morning. Our son, Jesse, who lived in Hawthorne, New Jersey, was in the hospital with what seemed to be like some flu-like symptoms. But uh, he was in the, uh, the uh, not the emergency room, well, the emergency room on the way in, and we were told, better get down here. Got down there and looked at our son in the emergency room, and we wondered whether he was going to make it. Eventually, it was diagnosed that he had a bacterial infection, and that bacterial infection was ravaging his body and his heart particularly, and some of his organs. Uh, his life was in the hands of God. We had dedicated Jesse to the Lord. We remember back to that moment, but this was a time of crisis for even myself. Our brook was drying up. Our son was dying. He was moved to the cardiac intensive care unit and over the next number of days we waited and waited. It wasn't by the brook careth, it was in the intensive care unit waiting room with other people waiting there as well, wondering which direction this bacterial infection was going to move. However, God sent a provision. It wasn't the ravens with the meat and that. 
but it was a member of, or a part, person from a Calvary Church family who was a nurse at St. Joseph's Hospital in the cardiac care unit who came into the room with Eva and my son Jesse's uh, wife and said, I don't know if you believe in God, but I do, and we need to pray. And that was a ministering angel that God sent. And she walked all the way through this, and it was a waiting time, and uh, finally heart surgery and, and things like that had to be done because of his organs being impacted. But uh, Jesse's alive, and Jesse's living, and he's serving the Lord in the missions organization, and we praise the Lord for that. But it was a time where we were questioning, Lord, what are you doing? Our brook is drying up. What are you doing? And we had to depend and plead and cry out to God. When we're willing to trust God and to wait on Him, and I'm not suggesting that even I did that well. We had times of grieving. We had times of crying out to God. Uh, but we learn that even in crisis moments, uh, there can be great delight. And as we look back now, I wouldn't want to go through it again, but, but we've learned that God can provide and does provide, and we don't want to remember that. So remember, without God, an uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. But with God, there in the crisis moment and uncertainty, you can wait on Him, you can listen to Him, you can learn of Him, and you can put your hope in Him, for with Him, the sure and certain one, we can face and we can move through uncertain times we are in with confidence. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us, Lord, because this has been a season in many of our lives that we feel like we've been sitting beside a drying up brook. We keep thinking things are going to move more quickly or in different ways than they have. And Lord, for all of us, we can revisit and look back at other moments in our lives when there have been crisis moments and we've had to wait and depend on you. Lord, we are all at different spots and places in our lives. But if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the living God walking with us and talking to us. Then the word of the Lord came and assuring us that we are his own. So Lord, encourage us today, no matter what the future brings, knowing that we have a future with you, eternally secure because of Christ's death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Amen.